to be here. Uh, I have many friends here, including uh, McQuaid, and uh, talking about dinosaurs. And those of you who are interested in dinosaurs, be sure to come. And also, we'll be trying to place the questions afterwards, and we can deal with issues that I haven't covered today. Um, I am a molecular biologist, uh, but also a geologist. Come this afternoon and uh, this evening, and we can talk about that. But just now, I want to step aside from all that and talk about the basis for the problem that we see. For example, in um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible tells us where we came from. Very clearly, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and it goes on to detail that creation, including the creation of man. It's so clear in Genesis, why is it that everywhere we turn, our, our televisions, our magazines, or, or secular press, or textbooks, why is it we always see something about millions of years and origin of life and a godless world? Where does this come from and why is it so pervasive? And I'd like to explore that with you a little today to seek to understand uh, why we face this, uh, this pressure to conform to the world in its thinking about where we came from. There's nobody here and nobody out there that if left to their own could not easily discern that this world is not an accident. It's patented in everything we see. Take a little child out into a field of flowers and ask them who made the flowers. They're not going to think of some metaphorical story about accidents over millions of years. Can you imagine that? No, they're going to tell you that God made the flowers. Why is it then when we become adults we have to face this conflict over origins? What's happened as we transition from being children to being adults that has robbed us of the simplicity of understanding of the world around us? Well, I think the answer's in the Bible. And, and I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 14. We seek to get a, a picture of this whole thing. And I, I'll give it away before I start. It's, it's somebody named Lucifer or Satan. Now, there's not very many places in the Bible where God wastes text talking about the enemy. It's kind of an undercurrent in Scripture, but he doesn't spend a lot of time telling us details about what happened in heaven. But there are a few places and we're going to glean those to see what we can learn. In uh, Isaiah 14, verse 12, uh, God is here addressing Satan, Lucifer. He begins, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? And we know Lucifer is down on this earth now. If you are a sentient being, you know that's true. 
Lucifer is not up in heaven right now. And God tells us here that at one time he was in heaven. Well, if he was in heaven, he must have been perfect because God made him perfect. So something happened. So here we begin to see there's a, a conflict in stories going on. How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you said in your heart, I will descend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. This is his, his wishes. I will. I, and isn't it interesting, he starts all his sentences with, I, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation in the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And just in case you don't get it, he says, I will be like the Most High. What is his aspiration? To be like God. But wait a minute now. He started out like God, didn't he? With a perfect character. Beautiful, symmetrical. And yet, this doesn't sound like that character, does it? I, 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 I. So what is it about God he wants? What is it about God he wants? I will be like the Most High. It's not his character. What is it God can do that Satan wants to do? Create. To be able to create life. And we'll see why that is in a minute. That underlies the problem that we see on the earth today. In the beginning... Lucifer was the most spectacular being God created. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. This is the way it was in the beginning. You were, verse 12 again, you were the seal of perfection. Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel 28, verse 12. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Do you hear what it's saying here? There was never anything that God made that had more poured into it than Lucifer. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering the sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emeralds with gold. This is what covered his body. This is what he was clothed with, the most precious jewel. Your work, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day what? You were created. God is here telling them, I made you perfect. I gave you all this amazing structure. And I even built into you musical instruments 
that far surpass anything that you or I have ever heard. You love music. Lucifer is the author of amazing music. On the day you were created. God, God doesn't stop there. He goes on. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I created you. I established you. That's twice. Twice. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. We don't even know what this is talking about, but they know. Lucifer knows, and Jesus, who's speaking, knows. They know what they're talking about. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were what? Three times God talks about creation in this passage. Why? Because that's the basis of Lucifer's fall. I don't know why sin arose. Till iniquity was found in you. It was found in him. It wasn't created there. It wasn't anything that could be excused. It was found there. Now, what was Lucifer's job in heaven? Lucifer means what? Light carrier, the light bearer. Lucifer was the bearer of light. How many of you, how many of you when you were born, know who bore you? Anybody here see themselves being born? No. Somebody had to tell you who your mother and father were, right? Some of you may not know. But there was somebody that told you if you know. Because you were there, yes. But did you see it? When Adam was born, did he see himself born? When Adam was created? When Eve was created from a rib in Adam's side, did, did Eve see herself created? Did Adam see her created? No. Adam was asleep. So when God made beings in heaven, and he put inside those beings a desire to worship that which created you. Did you know you have that inside you? Every being that God has ever made, he puts in there a desire to worship that which created you. And he put that in Lucifer. And somebody had to tell Lucifer, and I suspect it was Jesus, had to tell Lucifer that I made you. But Lucifer's job, the light bearer, he was the, it was his job to go around and tell the created beings where they came from. So God would create some new being. That being would awake, and inside is this desire to worship that which made me. And so Lucifer would be standing there, and look at what Lucifer is. He's covered with jewels. He has marvelous tonality in his, in his voice. And it was the most obvious thing for that creature to worship him. Don't you think? The first thing you see, the little duckling when it hatches, what does it follow? The first thing that moves. And so here's Lucifer, 
He was sent there by God to tell them that God made them and to turn their attention away from him to God. That was his job. I'm making that up, but that story fits with everything we know. So that was what Lucifer saw. Time after time, his, his created beings would awaken. He would point them to God. What an exalted job. Would you like that job? There's a, there, I understand there's a vacancy. There's an opening. Would you like to apply for the job of pointing people to Jesus? You got that job. You got it, even if you didn't apply. So that was what Lucifer's job was in heaven. And you know what? Somehow, over the course of time, he started thinking, why, don't anybody, why doesn't anybody worship me? And he started doubting God, and the time came when God had to expel him from heaven. And he sent him out of heaven, and Lucifer ended up coming down to this planet. Sad, sad thing. But you know what? Lucifer wanted, Lucifer wanted somebody to worship him. He wanted the exaltation. He's, he didn't want to tell these created beings that God made. He didn't want to tell them to worship God. He wanted to worship for himself. So God sent him down to the planet, and you know what God did? God is amazing. He made a planet full of beings that had the ability to create new life. He sent him down here to us. Probably unique in the universe. I don't know this for sure, but I imagine it's true. That had the unique ability to make more of themselves. Probably nowhere else in the universe is that ability here. And when, when Jesus and God said, let us make man in our image, it wasn't just a metaphor. It wasn't just uh, to look like me. It was with the ability to make new life. Let us make man in our image. And so Satan comes down to this world and he discovers God has made creatures that can do the very thing that he wanted to do and got cast out of heaven because he refused to acknowledge God as his creator anymore. How do I know that's true? Turn to Matthew chapter 4. This is the scene that happened after Jesus' baptism. And uh, the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. And Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights without food. Have you ever done that? No, probably not good for you. I one time went a week without food. That was just for fun to see what it was like. It was really interesting because by the end of the week, I didn't really care whether I ate or not. It was hard the first few days, but uh, after that, it became a problem the other way. So here's Jesus out there 40 days without eating, and Lucifer comes down to him and he says, Look, if you're really God, make this stone into bread. Is that a fair thing to do to somebody that is 40 days without food? Would you come down to them and say, uh, Come on, make, make, make bread out of this rock if you're really God? What a horrible thing to do. Does that tell you something about Satan? His character? Then he takes him up into the top of the temple and he says, look, 
throw yourself down. God said he would take care of you. Let's see if he really does. Let's see if you're really God. And Jesus shoes him off. Now, when I was in high school, I was on the debate team, and we used to, I, I was not a Christian at the time and, and uh, didn't know about this wonderful faith that we hold together. Um, and I did a lot of debating. and We went around all Southern California debating at various high schools, and one of the things I learned from debate is you save your best argument for last. You want to win a debate, you don't start with your best argument, you start with your weakest argument and you build up to your best one. And so here's Lucifer, he's the author of that technique. And so here's his last temptation. The devil, verse uh, 8 of Matthew chapter 4. The devil took him up to an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and made them to pass before him. Now, Jesus was born in a little village in Palestine, a little village. He hadn't had much experience. He'd been to Jerusalem a few times. He hadn't had much experience in the world that he came to save. He'd never seen the vast array of creatures over his earth. But Satan took him up into a high mountain. He caused these millions of people that Jesus came to save to pass in front of him. And then he says to Jesus, I'm going to give you all this. I will give up everything in this earth. I'll give it all up if you'll just fall down and worship me. Now, I don't know if that, could have, that transaction could have happened or not. I don't know what the result would be if Jesus had believed him. But uh, Jesus knew better. He knew he was destined to go to the cross and die for these people that he was seeing out there. That he was going to have to die for them. And Lucifer said, no, you don't have to die. You're not going to have to go through all this suffering. You can just take it all. If you'll just bow down and worship me. That doesn't sound like much of a deal. Couldn't he have asked for some gold or, or something else? No, just Jesus worship is all Lucifer wants. Does that tell you something about the story I shared with you earlier about the role of Lucifer and the role of creation in this whole controversy? It's fundamental. How do I know that? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, we're... By the way, this chapter, we could spend a whole sermon on this chapter. It's an amazing chapter. Um, it points out something very interesting that I've explored in other places about how many spatial dimensions there are. But we won't go into that today. We'll talk about uh, these four living creatures uh, that are shown in this scene. And they go around saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders that are also in this scene, representing the, all the creatures, all the beings on the earth, They fall down before him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before the throne 
And they say, worthy. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. They are worshiping him, bowing before his throne. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things. So there you have it. Creation is the basis of our worship. Creation is the basis of our worship now. Creation is the basis of our worship in heaven. It is because God has created him that we owe him his worship. Paul tackles this over in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is best known because it's here that Paul enunciates the basis of our righteousness by faith. Is that not right? The just shall live by faith, he quotes from Habakkuk. And then dropping down to verse 20, since the creation of the world, What are we talking about here? Creation. Since the creation of the world, his, God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Since the creation of the world, God has revealed to every person capable of thinking that he is the creator. If you take a little child out into the field and ask him who made the flower, where do they get that information? From the flowers. The flowers talk to him. They tell him, we are made by something bigger than us. Since the foundation of the world, since, since the beginning of creation, God has instructed us about his creatorship through nature. It goes on in verse 21, because although they knew God, okay, they knew God. How do they know God? Through his creation. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then this very interesting word that we use to describe people that teach at universities, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God. And what is, in this context, what is the glory of God? His creation. Changed the glory of God into the likeness of a man and flying things and four-footed beasts and creeping things. What is that? Where do you hear that story? That's evolution. That's right. He's talking about evolution. 
the idea that we came from, from the muck and we became, through evolution, we became human. We're trading, trading our view of God as creator for this. But you see, we don't get out of it. Nobody can go around and say, I don't worship anything. Nobody can say, I don't worship anything because you worship the things that created you. And if you think you came from this, then that's what you worship. I'm sorry, that's, that's true. You're giving, you're attributing to evolution your creation. Isn't that interesting? Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness, to the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among one another. Those who exchanged the truth of God, what's the truth of God? Creation. For a lie, evolution, and worshiped and served the creature. See, there it is. You worship that which created you, whether you like it or not. That's what you attribute your origin to. Worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Am I surprised to see a world that has gone away from God? Am I surprised that when I pick up a magazine and read about where I came from, I find out it's not from the hand of God? Am I surprised when I turn on a program on television, a nature program, I learn that millions of years ago this and that and the other thing? Does that surprise me? No, because God told us right here it would happen. It happens because Lucifer is intent on our worship. Lucifer wants our worship. He wants your worship. He wants your worship. He wants my worship. And to get that, he will do anything he can to subvert God as the creator. Isn't that interesting? Turn with me over to Second Peter. Chapter 3. This is a really a succinct chapter. In the, in the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter, uh, Peter knows that he's going to die shortly. He says as much in there. He says, he says um, you know, before very long, I'm going to be putting off this tent. Isn't that a neat way to think about it? I'm going to be laying down this, this tent that I'm living in right now. It's going to happen soon. Unfortunately for Peter, he already knew how he was going to die. Most of us don't. Jesus said, you'll get to, you'll get to die like I did if that's what you want to do. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't ever ask, don't ever make claims that you can't live up to. <laughs> well, by this time, he was resigned to that. Peter, by the way, in Second Peter, is a very different person from the, second Pe from the Peter of the of the Gospels. Have you noticed that? He's tender, he's gentle, he's 
very, very concerned about the church. Over and over again in, this, in these three chapters of Second Peter, he says, remember, don't forget. I don't want to leave you and then you forget the things I've told you because they're really important. And he writes here in chapter 3, Beloved, I now write you this second letter in both of which I want to stir up your pure minds to remember. I am so worried that you will forget the things I've told you. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. What's that? What's he, what's he want them to remember? The Old Testament, right? Remember the Old Testament. Some people today say, oh, the Old Testament's not relevant. No, Peter says, huh, I'm desperate that you remember the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. What's that? That's the New Testament. Yeah. He doesn't want them to forget that either. I want you to remember the Old Testament, remember the New Testament. This will protect you and spare you from the things that are coming on the earth. Then he says, knowing this first, scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts. Knowing this first. Okay, ahead of time you know this. Why do you know it? Peter's told you 2,000 years ago that in the last days, scoffers would come on the earth, walking after their own lusts. When did the last days begin? You're, you're, many of you are Adventists. You know your prophecies, Bible prophecies. When did the time of the end begin? 1798. 1798. What happened in 1798 that's relevant to this story? 1796, James Hutton finished writing a, a book, a, a series of books, three volumes. One of them was published before uh, he died uh, on, the, on the history of the earth. And it was a, a, a book that did not give God credit for creation. It attributed all the things you see on the earth to time and chance published in 1796. Remembering this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Where, where is this Jesus is supposed to be coming back again? Where is it? I don't see it anywhere. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. We don't see any disruption in the history of the earth. For billions of years, things have gone on like this. It's not going to end. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. James Hutton put it this way. Quote, when I look into the history of the earth, I see no vestige of a beginning and no prospect of an end. It's in the preface of volume one. Where is the promise of his coming? For all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. When I look into the history of the earth, I see no vestige of a beginning 
and no prospect of an end. And when did this come out? 1796. He died then, and, and the second two volumes were published after his death. If you look in the encyclopedia, Wikipedia, or anywhere else, you'll find out that James Hutton was the father of modern geology. The father of modern geology is somebody that said, that fulfilled the prophecy of Second Peter perfectly. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully are ignorant of. You know, we talked about willful ignorance a minute ago. Here it is, the same expression is in Romans. Willful ignorance. That means they know. These are not ignorant people that are saying this. These are people that know. Willful ignorance means that you know something and you ignore it anyway. For this they are willfully ignorant of. And what are they willfully ignorant of? That the heavens were of old by the word of God and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. That's the account. Those words are right out of where? Genesis chapter 1. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. What's that? Genesis 6, Genesis 7, Genesis 8, the flood. So we're told that in the time of the end, there will be people coming on the earth saying, no creation and no flood. For this they willfully forget, that in the word of God the heavens were of old, you're standing in the water and out of the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth are now preserved by the same word, reserved for fire to the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. So people are going to die who deny this. So why hasn't it happened yet? Peter explains. Beloved, do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Do not forget this one thing. Have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten that with God, God does not live in time? Because if God lived in time, like we do, then he would be subject to time, wouldn't he? Then he wouldn't be God. So God is telling, Peter is telling us here that God does not live in time. What does that mean? What does it mean to live outside of time? I don't know. I teach philosophy. One of the questions I ask is, what is time? I ask my students, what is time? Do you know what time is? No, you don't know what time is. I don't know what time is. But God is not subject to time. So with God, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. It's all the same to him. 
So if you're impatient for God to do something in your life, or you're impatient for him to return, and I hope you are, don't forget that with God, he sees it all in a continuum. He is beyond time. And I want to end with this verse. This explains why the Lord has not come back yet. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't forgotten that he's going to come back, that he promised he would come back. He has not forgotten us. He is not slack concerning his promise, like men count slackness, again, because he is not in the time frame we're in. But his long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why hasn't Jesus come back? We don't know, but be assured, he wants you. He wants me, and he wants the scoffers. He wants them. If another day would turn one of them to him, he wants that. That's the kind of God I love. And that's the kind of God I serve. Thank you. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you are a Lord that cares about each of us individually. You see us as individuals. You see our needs. You see our desires and our hopes. It's all visible to you. You're a God that cares, a God that loves and desires our hearts. You don't want to destroy us. You know that to restore the universe, you have to destroy evil out of it. So take the evil out of us so that we can live with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.